Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR Poker, where we are right in the middle of the Winter Online Super Series. Now, I know it's not winter yet. We just started the WAS early this year. We've got $30 million in guaranteed prize pools this month. Also a $35,000 added leaderboard. Now, when I say added, that means that thirty-five k does not come out of your buy-ins and entry fees, but is contributed by ACR Poker. And it's a great thing. You know, we've got a lot of different tournaments. We've got mystery bounties. We've got a $1.5 million guaranteed event this Sunday, November 19th with a $630 buy-in. And we've got satellites running around the clock for all of this and more. You've got to be on ACR Poker, guys. If you haven't yet joined, you can get a 100% first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000 just by clicking the link in the description of this podcast and using the promo code TPE. My name is Clayton Fletcher, and I'm in New York City, fresh home from my little whirlwind mini-tour of Ontario, Canada. Hey, shout-out to three of my friends who actually came out, listeners to the podcast, Jason, Jonathan, and Chad, and thanks for showing up, uh, not only for the comedy shows, but for the book signing that I did out there in St. Catharines. Uh, I had a great time in Canada. The crowds were amazing. Sold a ton of books. By the way, you guys, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book yet, please do it. It's called The ROI of LOL, and it's a really fun book about using comedy skills at work, and it has absolutely nothing to do with poker, but I still appreciate it if you buy it, and if we meet, I'll sign it for you, and then the value will be cut in half immediately with my autograph. Anyway, guys, I had so much fun in Canada. I got to play a little bit in Windsor. It was kind of weird. Um, The dearth of cash games and tournaments, uh, especially with the uh, casinos across the bridge not having poker because of the strike. I would have thought that Canada would have been the place to play. But yeah, it turns out some of the casinos, they got rid of their poker rooms during COVID and never brought them back. Uh, Casino Windsor, well, now it's called Caesars Windsor. I'm I'm older, so I remember when it used to just be Casino Windsor. Uh, At one point, they just had like one one two no limit game going so very strange to me it seems like maybe poker just isn't booming in that part of the world the way it is in other places now let's be fair i was there like on weekdays a lot of times like trying to play in a tournament or a no limit hold'em cash game on a weekday afternoon so maybe i'm not really getting a clear picture of what things are like but i can remember when i was at casino windsor you know eight or ten years ago It wouldn't matter what day you were there. That place was booming. It was packed. One thing I did notice is that the rake in the cash games is astronomical. They're taking a 10% rake up to $8 plus a $1 or $2 jackpot rake at that place. So they could be destroying their player pool that way. I mean, when rake is that high and the stakes are that low, it's very, very hard to show a profit in small stakes. No, let me hold them. So sometimes I think these casinos fail to see the forest for the trees. Now, for those of you who aren't in America, let me just give you 
uh, a little bit of a background. It's typical in a Las Vegas casino to charge five or maybe six dollars in rake with a one dollar jackpot drop or at the most two. And that might not sound like a very big difference, but the difference between six dollars and eight dollars is 33 percent. So that's a lot. And I think it does make a difference, especially over time. If it's uh, not a very wealthy area to begin with, and the players have limited funds to use for their gambling purposes, and if we suck them dry too fast, the next thing you know, there's no one left to play Hold'em. So anyway, this is not a cash game show. It's also not a uh, review of different casinos shows. So let's move on to our next topic, which is very clearly multi-table tournament related. And I'm talking, of course, about next month. The competition is really heating up between the WSOP and the WPT. These are the two biggest poker tournament bodies in the world, and they are going head-to-head. Last year, you may recall, in December, the win had kind of a monopoly on what was going on in poker in December. They had the big WPT championship. They put out... I think it was a $15 million guaranteed 10K main event, which was, of course, shattered. They actually had $29 million plus in that prize pool. And so this year, they stepped up their game. Earlier in 2023, the World Poker Tour announced that this year's event at the win in December would have a guaranteed prize pool of $40 million dollars. Like over 10 million more than last year's incredible, very impressive total. And then during the summer, the World Series of Poker stepped in and announced that they're having their own affair in the Bahamas and they're calling it WSOP Paradise. Now, as you probably know, competition always benefits the consumer. And in this case, that's us, the players. So I'm really excited that these two companies are going head to head trying to make their tournament series more attractive and the world series of poker for their part released what i think is a brilliant promotion this week and they're calling it the wsop paradise parlay now here's how it works if you are like me and you spent most of the summer in las vegas playing in the world series of poker although to be fair i did spend a good amount of time in mystery bounties and other tournaments at the win i just love the win so much but anyway uh, getting back on track here if i can The parlay is uh, if you have 10 or more caches over the two series, which includes the summer months and the Bahamas thing in December, you get a $5,000 cash bonus automatically, which is very impressive. I mean, that's really nice that they're doing that. You do have to have at least one cache in both series. So if you just got like, you know, 11 or 12 caches over the summer in just the World Series of Poker Vegas. That doesn't count. You have to have at least one in both series. Again, this is designed to try to get us to go to the Bahamas instead of to Vegas next month. And that's what they're trying to do. Pull players who might otherwise play in the WPT Championship and get them to come down to Paradise Island, Bahamas, which is not in the Caribbean, despite the fact for many years we called it the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure. No. The Bahamas, that's an island group in the Atlantic Ocean. Anyway, if you make three final tables in the combined two tournament series, you get a bonus of $25,000. And anyone who wins 
two bracelets, at least one in each location, you get a $100,000 cash bonus. So that is very impressive. I mean, I think that had I won a bracelet over the summer, I would really be tempted to go try to win another one out there in the Bahamas next month. Um, as it stands, I got an email telling me that if I get, I think it was four more caches in the Bahamas, uh, that I would meet the, the total of 10 and get the $5,000 cash bonus prize. I think I did have six caches um, in WSOP events this summer. Also, they informed me that if I happened to make two final tables in the Bahamas, I would get the $25,000 prize. So they're sending emails to all the players because they know our records. They have all this information ready. And it was probably just an automated email of anyone who either cashed in at least one World Series of Poker event over the summer. And any of us who made, you know, as you guys know, I made one final table over the summer. So it's trying to entice me to go for these bonus prizes. And they're not small. I mean, that, that's a significant payout. Of course, it would be in addition to any money that we win, obviously, in those tournaments. So maybe somebody who had seven or eight caches over the summer or nine caches over the summer and really doesn't care whether he or she goes to the Bahamas next month or decides to spend December in Vegas. By the way, you know, last year, December in Vegas was really nice. You know, it's good to see the casinos all decorated with holiday stuff and everything. And for me, like going to the Bahamas in December sounds fun, but it definitely doesn't look a lot like Christmas, at least as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I'm still leaning towards going to play at the win. But I'm telling you, had I made a second final table over the summer and I knew all I have to do to get a $25,000 bonus is make one simple final table in the Bahamas, I would absolutely be booking my flights to Nassau and then getting a transfer to Paradise Island as we speak. But, you know, because I only made one final table, the odds of me making two more in the shortened series there in the Bahamas, it doesn't really change my mind about where I want to be next month, which is the win. And I will be at the WPT Championship. But still, I love this for poker. I hope a lot of you go to the Bahamas. And then when I play in that 10K at the win, they're going to have to add money to the prize pool. I love when tournament series don't hit their guarantees. I love that the World Series of Poker is engaging in this competition. I think it's a great, great move by them. And we'll see how it all shakes out. I was already worried about them potentially not hitting this $40 million guarantee because there's just been so much bad publicity lately about Las Vegas, about how it's been, you know, torn to shreds and there's a lot of traffic because of the F1 race. And yeah, I think the cooks are on strike. And there's just been so much bad press about Las Vegas in general lately. I was already worried about them not making it. But now that I see the WSOP is really stepping up and trying to convince people, come play with us in the Bahamas. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, let me know what you guys think. You know, if you're on our Discord, by the way, there's a link in the description of this podcast. You can hit and join the TPE Discord for free. But yeah, let's talk about what you guys are doing. Are you going to play in the Bahamas? Are you going to play in the WPT Championship? Or were you never planning on doing either? And this promotion doesn't change your mind one way or the other. I want to know what you guys think. You can also find me on Twitter at Clayton Comic. All right, now let's talk about our new format 
and our new friends at GTO Wizard. You guys really seem to like me going through the hands from the previous episode and quickly reviewing them once again and talking about the robot version of all my plays. So we're definitely going to do that today. We're going to try this for a while. There might be another way to do it that you guys will enjoy more. I know many of you have said, have taken the opportunity to tell me you want me to do more hands per episode rather than going so deep into each one. And, you know, I'm taking that feedback, but there's an equal number of listeners who like when I kind of really analyze in depth why I make certain decisions or why players that I observe might make certain decisions on their end. So, I mean, there's a balance here, right? I mean, I know I could just do like a hand history review and fly through 10 hands an episode without really getting too far into the mechanics of each, but I would rather kind of give you guys a little bit more insight about my personal approach to the game, and then we can agree or disagree, or you can just you know throw my advice out the window, which is probably your best play. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, you know let's have a discussion, and the best place to do it is of course that TPE Discord. All right, so let's do what we did last time and go over the hands that I played in the previous episode, and let's talk about what GTO Wizard has to say about my play. Now look guys, I wanna tell you, GTO Wizard is unbelievable. It's so easy to use. You can take any spot, just tell them how many effective big blinds there are, and then you know describe the action. Somebody raised to 2.3x BBs, and then somebody three bet to 7.1 BBs, whatever it is, and it spits out what you should do with each hand you're supposed to have in those scenarios, and it will let you know if you're never supposed to have a certain hand. I know there was one that we're about to get to last week that I wasn't even sure that the solver would even approve my pre-flop decision, but I had an exploitative reason for making that decision. We're going to get to that in just a minute. There's a link in the description of this podcast where you can sign up for GTO Wizard and you save 10% on your first purchase. I highly, highly recommend this software tool. It is already making a huge difference in my play. I'm learning about spots where I'm too aggressive. I'm learning about spots where I actually don't bluff enough, believe it or not. I know all the listeners to this podcast are going to be shocked to find out there is ever a spot where I don't bluff enough because as most of you know by now, my natural playing style is uh, loose aggressive, maybe what we used to call hyper aggressive, but there are still spots where I am giving up that I shouldn't be giving up according to the AI of GTO Wizard. So yeah, I highly recommend this product. I hope you guys will take advantage of this offer to save 10% on your first purchase. So let's talk about last week's hands. Yeah, so remember guys, these are from the WSOP.com $1,000 bounty event. It's a bracelet event, but it's only open to players who are physically located in Nevada and New Jersey. So anyway, I was playing in this thing. There were a lot of good players and quite a few bad ones. And anyway, you may recall from last week, there was a very wild, very aggressive player who opened from the cutoff and effective stacks were 50 big blinds. And I was on the button with ace eight off suit. And you may recall last week, I wasn't even sure if a solver would have me three betting this hand ever at this stack depth. But because this player was literally opening all the time, you know, close to 100% open from late position, I felt like any ace is basically the nuts versus him and decided 
to put in the three bet. Last week, I said I wasn't sure whether the solver would approve it, but I had an exploitative reason why I did it. But in fact, the solver does approve. Ace-8 offsuit is a three bet. In this situation, 67% and 33% fold. So two-thirds of the time, we should be three betting on the button versus a cutoff open, even if the player is playing GTO himself, which tells me if he's not, then we should go ahead and slide that 66% all the way up to 100% and you know go after it every single time versus this guy. Uh, at that point, the action folded back around to the original Razor who, fold, who called, rather, and then we saw a flop, and with 16K in the middle, the flop came 9-8 deuce with two spades. Remember, I have ace-eight with the ace of spades. Opponent checked, I bet 4,000, which is 25% of the pot. GTO Wizard likes my play, picks it 60% of the time. You can also do half pot about 10% of the time and check the rest. So yeah, we, we have the most popular decision here according to the solver. And my opponent check raised to 12K, at which point I just decided to shove I think against this guy's range with so many draws available, I decided to shove and probably take it down a good bit of the time. But even when I don't, I think a pair of eights is going to be good a lot. I remember discussing this last week. The solver hates the shove. The solver has this as a pure 100% call. But remember, the solver doesn't know anything about our opponent. I still like my play given this guy's personal playing style, but I understand why a GTO player wouldn't actually go this far with just a second pair and an ace kicker. However, I end up winning the hand versus uh, king 10 of spades, which by the way, GTO wizard lets you look at the other player's hand as well. And so the uh, the check raised to 12,000, the solver doesn't like. Uh, the solver prefers the check shove about 65% of the time, which kind of surprised me because we still had like another two times the pot behind but yeah, if you get such a great flop, there's nothing wrong with just check shoving. You know, by the time I bet there's about 20K in there, this player had about another 40,000 behind. And the solver says that 65% of the time, just go ahead and stick it all in. But yeah, definitely check raise like he did, like 3X my bet about 15% of the time. And even mix in a few calls the rest of the time, like the other 20%. Or whatever. So I found that interesting and maybe something I'll keep in mind the next time I flop really good, like two over cards and a flush draw and everything else my opponent had going on here on this flop. Maybe just, you know, feel free to just check and then over bet shove if your opponent bets on the flop. Looking at the next hand we played, uh, it had folded to me in the hijack. We had 98 big blinds, we were the chip leader in the whole tournament. Um, but our opponent had 50 big blinds, so it's another 50 BB effective. I raised to 2K at 501K, so just a 2X min raise with pocket jacks in the hijack. And the button, who was a player that I knew well, a known professional, a good aggressive player, flats on the button with uh, 50K behind, and the blinds folded, and the flop came 9-7 tray with two spades, and Hero with two red jacks. Action was on me, and I bet about a quarter pot. So GTO is a mixed strategy. GTO actually checks 30% of the time. How often, guys, do you flop an overpair from out of position and having been the pre-flop raiser, just check it? I don't think I do that enough. 
but you're supposed to do that almost a third of the time. So that was a surprise for me. Um, there's, it's a very mixed strategy, though. There's like a lot of different sizes you can do on this board. The solver bet's the size that I chose 16% of the time, but there are like five other options. Uh, the one that was the favorite is about a 60% pot bet, but it's only a little bit, a few more percentage points from what I did. So I'll give myself, you know, a check mark for this play betting um, the sizing that I chose. But yeah, this is the kind of flop where you can go ahead and bet bigger a little bit more often. So I'll keep that in mind as well. Opponent called in the turn paired the board with the seven of hearts. Uh, I decided to check this card. And I remember describing it last week. Like you want to be able to check a lot of times when you have ace king, ace queen. So I'm checking here with a hand that plans to call a bet in order to preserve or defend my fourth street checking range. The solver doesn't want to have anything to do with it. I think it's just probably because there are so many draws available. The solver has me betting all the time, never checking on this card. Even though the card paired the board, the solver has us betting and mostly betting 1.3 times the pot. So I'm not sure that I would ever think to overbet when the board paired like that because I would look at it like, well, maybe my opponent called with a piece of this and some of the time he's going to have a seven. Maybe I'm too concerned about what he called me with on the flop. But yeah, the solver has us betting 1.3 times the pot most often. It also does, you know, more traditional bets like 30% or 60% some of the time. But the favorite play by the solver is 1.3x pot, which uh, really surprised me. Anyway, I checked and then the opponent bet and I called. Then the river came a queen of spades, which completed the flush. And uh, I checked again. We can't really check my line here because GTO Wizard does not ever have pocket jacks when he checks on 4th Street. So it's impossible to determine whether my play on the river is GTO approved because my play on the turn was not. But still, I think we can see how running your hands through a solver and looking at different spots and thinking in terms of ranges range versus range and what the robots want to do in different situations. I think you can see how valuable that is. And, you know, this GTO Wizard product, it's not that expensive. It's definitely going to pay for itself many times over if and only if you're willing to put in the work. All right, so let's continue in this tournament. I'm going to fast forward many hours later. I've collected a few bounties. I'm doing really well. We're in kind of the the late stages, we're already in the money. Oh no, I misspoke. We're not quite in the money yet. Uh, on this first hand I want to go over today, we are approaching the bubble. We're probably about a 100 or 80, something like that, players away from the money. And the action folds to me in the small blind with 80,000 when the blinds are 1K, 2K. So we've got 40 big blinds. Um, my stack is right around average. And the big blind is a loose, aggressive amateur with about 36,000 in his stack. So what to do with the king of spades, nine of diamonds. So he's got about 18 big blinds, right? And so we've got king nine. Do you want to open for a raise? I mean, we could make it 3x and then probably have to call a shove because king nine is a little too good to fold. Um, my concern about doing that is I think that a lot of his shoving range is going to be value hands. And you know, you guys know I love to limp in 
from the small blind with a wide range and hope that our opponents who are generally too loose and too aggressive might just try to take down the pot, especially for this gentleman sitting there with just 18 big blinds. The amount that's in the pot once I limp in from the small blind, is it might just be too tempting for him not to raise with any two cards. And obviously, King-9 is doing way better versus any two cards than it is versus a range that might shove over a 3x open. So for that reason, I did decide to limp. I want him to have all of his bluffs in his range, which again, I don't think they will all be in there when he shoves after I show strength by opening from the small blind. So I limp in, and then the opponent obliges us and makes it 6,000. So he does do a 3x after I limped in. Um, I can't wait to go all in. I know that he's going to be doing this with so many hands. Some of them will have us beat, but even those hands we probably have decent equity, unless it's like pocket kings, right? Then we're like 5% or something, something horrible like that. But unless it's that hand exactly, we're going to have some amount of equity. You're never really drawing dead before the flop. So I decided to shove for 18 big blinds and hope that this guy folds and says, man, why did I raise? I could have seen a flop. That Clayton is so tricky. You know, curses foiled again, right? Instead, he he calls like in half a second, like not even half a second. He can't wait to get it all in. He's got the ace queen of hearts, which we beat and collect yet another bounty. So at that point, I had, I think, three or maybe four bounties and we were almost in the money. So I was feeling great. I had a lot of chips. I wasn't the chip leader anymore, but I was feeling great and things were going my way for sure. Uh, the same blinds, but we got moved to a new table uh, an unknown player at this new table opens to 4,500, so like 2.3x, right? He's got 105k in his stack, and he gets two callers. I am in the big blind holding the king of hearts, queen of spades. Now, the other callers have 65k and 80k in their stacks. Again, the average is right around 80,000, so I decide... Well, you can raise, uh, I decide to go for a call here. We do block pocket kings, pocket queens, as well as ace king and ace queen. So there is a strong case to be made for three betting as a squeeze play. I think when you do that, you don't really want to get called. It would be mostly uh, a bluff with decent blockers. But I don't know, with this much action, especially being a new table, I don't really have a read on these opponents yet. So for all those reasons, I decided just to see a flop along with everybody else. And now there's about 20,000 in the middle, and the flop comes queen of hearts, six of clubs, four of hearts. So queen six, four with two hearts. We have the king of hearts, queen of spades for top pair and backdoor hearts. And out of position, I decide to check. I'm not planning to fold unless really all hell breaks loose. Uh, instead, it checks fully around. So we check all the way through. And the turn comes the five of clubs. So our board is now queen, six, four, five, with two hearts on the flop and now two clubs on the turn. And I decide to fire 13,000 into 20,000. It's a sizable, chunky bet. We're looking to get action from all the available draws. A hand like seven, six should call. Uh, any two clubs, any two hearts will probably call. So there's a lot of value to be gained from our top pair with a good kicker. Of course, any queen, queen jack, queen 10 
could easily be in multiple players' ranges, as we have seen in previous WSOP.com tournaments. Even if we don't know the exact players at this table, you can sort of go by the field. And, you know, they tend to be pretty loose, even with their calling ranges when it's a small open pre-flop. So, yeah, for all those reasons, I bet big and I'm trying to get some value. The original Razor calls and also the player who had called in late position before the flop, the last caller, calls as well. So we're going to be out of position with two opponents. And now with 60,000 in the middle, the river comes the deuce of diamonds. So our final board is queen, six, four, five, deuce. So any tray, by the way, has a straight. And I'm out of position. I've got top pair with the king kicker. No flush came in. And I decided to bet here. I bet 16000 I am planning to fold to a raise, of course. I don't think that these players know me very well. And I'm probably the most likely player to have a straight. So if somebody raises me, then I pretty much have to fold one pair every time. But I'm actually hoping that somebody calls. I want to get called again by Queen Jack, Queen 10. I'm going for thin value. And that's why I made my sizing so small. A lot of times my river bets are very big, close to the pot size or sometimes even bigger than that. Uh, but in this particular situation, I think that Queen Jack can safely fold if I bet too much. And so when you think about the hands you're value targeting, you also have to think about what kinds of bets those hands would be willing to call or would have to fold. I don't want to bet too big here. I'm specifically targeting hands like Queen Jack and Queen 10. And I'm just hoping that one of these two guys has exactly that. Or who knows, on this site, they could call with even worse. I, I know I might value own myself when the original Razor has Ace Queen, but it would mean that he checked back on the flop with multiple opponents and straight and flush draws available. You could say straight and flush draws galore available. So I don't think he will have ace-queen very often, but there is a possibility that the other player who called, remember I have two opponents here on the river, I'm thinking more the other player could just be hanging on with a hand like queen-10 suited or something, right? So because of that, I'm going for value, but yes, I will have to fold if I get raised. And if they can bluff raise with multiple opponents yet to act, good for them. They're going to outplay me this time. But I think that's a bit of a, of a stretch and a wild strategy that would not be recommended by me or anyone else. So I'm betting for value, trying to get called by Queen Jack or Queen 10. And instead, everybody folds. So let me know what you guys think about this one as well. I don't know what the uh, wizard at GTO Wizard is going to say about this one. It was certainly a very thin value bet, whether it got called or not. All right, let's do one more hand very quickly for this episode. I am now top 20 in chips. The blinds have gone up to 1,200 and 2,400. We have 150,000 in the stack when the average is right around 100,000. We are in the money, of course. And there are only about 100 players remaining in the whole tournament. So we're starting to have dreams of winning an online bracelet. Of course, it would be the type of bracelet that gets an asterisk because you're not really playing versus the whole world. But, you know, I'll take any bracelet I can get at this point after all these years in poker. The action folds to me in the hijack. I have the queen of diamonds, 10 of clubs. 
I'm in raised to 4,800, again with 150K behind. And the tournament chip leader is in the big blind, and he calls with 260,000 behind. So it's going to be a deep stack situation. We've got around 60 big blinds. The pot is 13,000, and the flop comes 10 of hearts, 8 of spades, deuce of diamonds. So I am in position with the queen of diamonds, 10 of clubs, and the villain checks and actions on us. I decide to bet small. I bet 4,600 into the 13,000 pot and villain calls. At that point, the pot was around 22K and the turn came the deuce of spades. Opponent checks once again. I decide to bet 18,000, so over 80% of the pot, and villain called again. I'm wondering if, if the solver is going to have us bet 130% again. Like, what are we really getting value from at this point? I guess there are a number of draws available, and so we do gain something from getting those hands to fold, as well as we might be able to get value from a hand like 10-9 or Jack-10 or whatever, but it's pretty thin at that point. Anyway, I bet 18K into 22K and got called. The river came the six of hearts. So our final board is 10 of hearts, eight of spades, deuce of diamonds, deuce of spades, six of hearts, and the villain checks. I chickened out. You know, he's the chip leader. I don't know what's going on with him. He hasn't been at my table very long. I don't really know if I can get called one more time uh, by a hand that I can actually beat at this point, so I decided to check behind, and I end up beating the eight of hearts, five of hearts. So looking back at his hand, he flopped second pair, and then when I fired a second barrel on the turn, he probably just figured, look, if my second pair was good on the flop, it's good again on the turn, and I'm just gonna call again with it and try to hang on. I do think he would have folded to any substantial betting I might have tried on the river. So I'll be interested in your thoughts on this hand as well as I will review this hand once more next week and let you guys know what the solver had to say. And that'll do it for this episode. If you guys haven't done so yet, please take a moment and give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever else you may be listening. iHeartRadio, I know we're on there as well. Any place you might be listening to the podcast, that is something you guys can all do for free to help us keep bringing you this content week in and week out absolutely free. So yeah, take a moment, subscribe, review, rate, all that good stuff. You guys don't know how good it makes me feel when I read your reviews. And I do, I read each and every one and it just feels amazing to feel the love from the TPE Nation, as we like to call it, for the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. So, for everyone here at TPE, and with special thanks, as always, to our very generous sponsor, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.
we will be While little gambling is fun when you're with me I love it Russian roulette is not the same without a gun And baby, when it's love, if it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa.